It's interesting. Uh, well, the Italians didn't laugh in, in Venice either. <laughs> but but the, British, the British laughed nonstop. And I think that there was always this, there's a comedy of manners going on, you know, and there's an awkwardness of manners. But when I wrote it, I knew people were being really rude and there would be people that would laugh at that, especially people in Hollywood and film fans, they kind of laugh when they see good filmmaking or they see weird filmmaking or they see because they're aware of what we're doing. I think most people are aghast when that happens, but I think also people like freak out in different ways. Like that, the first time I saw that was Black Swan, I would show people at the fever dream in Black Swan and I'd be laughing at it because of how whacked out it is. <laughs> and, uh, and then there were certain screenings where there was, in Venice, once again, where it was total silence. <laughs> and then there was, I mean, a perfect example was, you know, when Natalie Portman's legs cracked backwards. I had a huge fight with the studio. The studio was like, that's too far. I'm like, no, it's not. And we fought for a long time about it, and I eventually got it into the movie. And when that happened, there's people who cry, there's people who scream, and there's people that laugh hysterically. So I think it's just a reaction. And as you know, laughing and crying are the same thing. They're just the opposite way the air is flowing often, although some people laugh. <laughs> 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 And then other people cry. (laughs) So people react to it. But what you want as a filmmaker is a reaction. And, you know, that's that's why, you know, there's all this conversation out there. Because I think it's the type of film that in a couple of days, you know, it'll mean something different. Welcome back. This is our final episode for Darren Aronofsky on a podcast directed by. So, of course, we have our resident expert, Richard Newby, back to talk about Aronofsky one more time because he never gets enough chances to talk about his boy, Darren Aronofsky. So welcome back, Richard, uh, to the conclusion of our uh, watch of Aronofsky films. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Yes, absolutely. So let's just jump into this here. So. You actually, I think, mentioned this offhandedly in our introductory episode. But one thing I've noticed after watching all of these movies is that, you know, one of the most important uh, people that he works with is Clint Mansell. Um, Like, I think, you know, more than most modern directors, like, I think the scores really kind of amp things up and really add to his film. So what has been your experience of the Clint Mansell, Darren Aronofsky connection? Oh, I, I love it. You know, Clint Mansell is one of my favorite uh, composers. And as I mentioned before, um, I actually like discovered Aronofsky's work through Mansell. Um, and I also think that Mansell's best work uh, just happens to be in uh, Aronofsky's movies. I mean, that Requiem for a Dream score and the Fountain score are probably uh, my favorites of his but yeah, I just, I feel like, I mean, and, and the one for Noah as well, I just feel like it really just adds uh, a really interesting uh, energy to his films. Uh, and I think it contributes to the pacing in a really unique way as well. Um, I think it, it it keeps a certain momentum. And again, it goes with that uh, motif of, kind of duality or parallel stories because Mansell uses a lot of the same uh, 
stings or musical motifs uh, throughout uh, throughout the film, and so it's kind of like a, a signal to the viewer mm-hmm. uh, that things are kind of tying back around to something else. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a really great point. I mean, I think like now that I think back to like like I think I'd watch Pi, maybe I'd watch Requiem, and I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, it's a good director. And then somebody played the soundtrack uh, to the Fountain for me, and I was just like, oh my, what is this? And it was one of those, like, okay, now I have to see the movie. Like, I have to know what connections are there because it's actually, it's actually pretty rare for me. Like, I like film scores, but it's very rare for me to be like, oh my God, I listened to the score. I must find this movie. Like, just have such a deep connection to it. But Clint Mansell and Darren Aronofsky just seems like the perfect, just the perfect pairing. Like, sometimes it's like, you know, Spielberg and Williams or, you know, like sometimes it just works. And I think those two just absolutely do. Um, so this is my favorite question to ask because this is where I get to make the experts defend my choices, which is my favorite part. So what sets Aronofsky apart? Like, why should he be covered on a show like this where we're talking about the great directors? So without knowing anything that I have to say about Aronofsky, tell me why I'm right, Richard. <laughs> well, I definitely think that he you know, stands apart from his contemporaries in the fact that you know, every film feels uh, personal. It feels like his own desire to uh, explore something higher than himself. Um, I think that he's not just interested in, in telling uh, a narrative story, but in kind of making a mythological or religious statement. Um, and I think that, you know, he's gotten some flack for this and you know some people have called him pretentious but i really do (laughs) think that he is uh that he's searching for a deeper meaning much like a lot of his characters um and so i think that that's you know one of the things that kind of puts him in the conversation uh whether whether you like his films or not i just i always think that it's really interesting when uh a filmmaker seems to be coming from a personal place and they're tackling a lot of the same themes over and over again. Um, I, I don't remember. It might, it might have been uh, uh, Stephen King who said this once, but he talked about how um, an author's uh, journey, if you look at their bibliography, it's essentially them finding new ways to tell the same story over and over again because they have a, a question uh, that they have that they're trying to answer for themselves. And so that's what I think that Aronofsky is doing. I think that he's trying to answer uh, this question for himself about like who we are in terms of our place in, in the universe and uh, who this higher power is that's kind of shaping our destiny and what we you know, can do to respond to them or not. Yeah, that's a great point. I wonder what Stephen King's question is. Is it just like, why are small towns the absolute worst? Is that (laughs) that what he's trying to answer for his whole life? Uh, Why, why does Maine suck so hard? Uh, But, but yeah, I think you bring up a great point about Aronofsky is that, you know, I think it's easy to pick apart really any director like, I mean, you could do, we mentioned Spielberg on our last episode and on this episode, actually. And it would be very easy to be like, oh, why does Spielberg care so much about deadbeat dads or like latchkey kids or whatever? Like, yes, it is a similar theme, but you can explore it different ways. And this is why, like, it gets me all worked up when I hear criticisms like, well, we've seen this before. Like, 
Yeah, there's like eight stories to tell, man. It's about how you tell it. <laughs> like there's only so many experiences, but it's about the point of view and how you're looking at it. Like yeah. there have been a lot of religious stories and they're all told very differently. I mean, The Passion of the Christ and Mother are very different movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're both sure. about religion and finding your faith and putting that on screen. But and even within Aronofsky's uh filmography, you know, there are Noah is very different from Mother. Like, yes, they both have obvious religious parallels and allegories but there's there's a different way that he's looking at things for sure and i think i mean you could you might even be able to say that like yeah mother is certainly he's looking at a religious aspect but he's also you know looking at what it's like to be a creator and maybe mistreat some of the people in your life you know and it was just that movie that's why that movie's so interesting to me like it it's one of those movies that like look if you hate it dude i get it I do. I can totally understand despising that movie um, because I think those are the best kind of movies, the movies that like split people down the middle. I'm not yeah. super interested in a movie that has like, quote unquote, 100 percent on Rotten Tomatoes or everybody absolutely loves it because I'm like, uh, well, where's the conversation? That's boring. But you find that 50 50 movie like you're into, you know, genre and superhero movies like I've had more interesting discussions about something like Man of Steel than I have a lot of other movies because it is one of those down the middle movies where a lot of people like me don't like it very much. And a lot of people just really, really love it and bought into it. And I think mother is that kind of movie too. I remember sitting in the theater and, and watching people walk out, which like in droves, like this was not like one person, like this was a lot of people. And I was like, Oh, wow, this, uh, this is going to get quite a reaction. Okay. I'm loving this, but I am not the only experience here. So yeah, he really does make that kind of movie. And I even think, you know, movies like Requiem obviously are going to be too much for people, but even movies like The Wrestler, um, you know, like it's a difficult movie. He doesn't, yeah. I, don't, I just don't think he makes easy movies. Maybe his, <laughs> maybe his easiest movie to watch, strangely enough, is like Black Swan. Like that's, <laughs> and that's yeah. not exactly <laughs> like a crowd pleaser. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't think, I think he is much more interested in that journey and figuring things out than he is making a movie that's going to make $200 million. Like that's just not on his radar at all. Yeah. And I, I think like for me, like in terms of directors that I'm like most attracted to, like I love big ambitious swings. Mm. Um, like even if it, <laughs> no like, wonder you love Aronofsky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and e- even if it misses a little bit, I- I'd rather see, like, a director who takes, like, a big, ambitious swing and just, like, puts everything, you know, out there mm-hmm. uh, than something that's just, like, trying really hard to to please people and check all the boxes. And I-, I love uh, divisive films, you know. Right. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm just, like, really attracted to these kind of films that, that really split people uh, and create co- conversations. Uh, and so I think that, you know, that's, one of the things that he does, and I feel like that's why, you know, when I started becoming interested, like, really interested in, like, film, like, as as a theory, um, you know, rather than just, like, as someone who enjoys movies, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, a lot of that was shaped by, you know, Aronofsky, like, in high school, when I, when I really started thinking about, like, the theory of film, um, Aronofsky was definitely, like, one of the first that, like, really brought my attention to that because I feel like there is always a conversation and there is always something that's uh, kind of divisive and that turns people off. And yeah. I also, just to be honest, like I love dark shit. Like <laughs> right, I love, right. <laughs> I love filmmakers that like go places that make audiences uncomfortable. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think he definitely qualifies uh, <laughs> in that area for sure. Um, so I'm going to ask you two questions that are kind of related, uh, but I think they're two separate things, but feel free to either answer them as one or separate them. Are there particular scenes or particular moments like shots that stand out to you as like this encapsulates his work? This is what stands out to me. Um, this is what I love about Aronofsky. Yeah, so there are there are quite a few. Um, so the first one I'd say is um, in Requiem for a Dream, and it's it's near the end. It's all four characters kind of uh, curled up uh, in their own kind of uh, addiction and regret. Um, in their four different spaces, they're all they're all by themselves, um, and so that's that's one of the the images that returns to me a lot uh, in terms of his filmography, and then also. Uh, the ending scenes of both uh, the wrestler and Black Swan mm-hmm. of that just like final moment, um, you know, Randy the Ram up on the ropes jumping off, and then um, um, and Black Swan, uh, Natalie Portman's character, just finishing and that move saying that she was perfect. You know, those mm-hmm. those have both uh, really really stuck with me. And then, um, the one in, uh, in mother that I often think about, uh, is that scene of her standing in, in the doorway. Um, and it's just a a silhouette shot. I love silhouette shots, but it's Jennifer Lawrence's character standing in the doorway and looking, uh, outside the house, uh, which she never actually, you know, goes into. And so I love the idea of this like house kind of, uh, representing her world, but also like the constraints of her life. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. All right. So, um, this is a, this is actually, this question is derived from an argument I got in with a friend of mine where he believes that to be a truly great movie, a movie has, you have to like come back to it years later, rewatch it, get something new out of it. And I'm of the opinion that a movie can be great even if you only watch it once and never come back to it. So I'm not going to, make you you know settle this uh settle this score between me and my friend but i do wonder what category in general you put aronofsky in is he one of those that makes rewatchable movies or is he one of those that makes impactful movies that maybe you don't want to check out again or is it some mixture um i definitely say it was a it's a mixture um because some of his movies like i've watched like i probably watched black swan the most um and as you mentioned like it's kind of his uh, easiest film to <laughs> to watch if there is such a thing, right? Um, and like I, I've watched that a bunch of times, um, and then I've watched Noah a lot as well. Um, but yeah, but then there are other ones like Requiem for a Dream that I've only seen like a couple times, or uh, you know, I'll watch and like I'll, I'll see pieces of it, like I'll watch like a clip of it, or if it's on TV, then I'll watch, you know. 15 or 20 minutes, but I, I never feel like I need to watch the whole thing. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I definitely feel like he's, it's kind of a mix. Um, and some things just kind of like you get the, the impression of it and it just stays with you. Like the, the fountain. Um, that's one that, you know, I have listened to the score far more than I've watched the movie. Right. Um, and I've, I've watched like some clips from it online, but, I haven't seen it all the way through uh, since the first time I watched it. And so, yeah, I definitely think that there's a mix. Uh, 
between like films that are really rewatchable and then others that just make a strong impression and they just kind of uh, exist uh, in your in your memory uh, or you know just kind of uh, kind of leave an impression through the score or a certain performance or production design. Yeah, absolutely. So now we come to, I don't know, maybe a kind of a sad question. It's a two-part question because we kind of mentioned this where, you know, his output maybe isn't what you would want as a fan, uh, have these big gaps. So if anything, what are you looking forward to uh, in terms of him as a director in the future? And maybe a more negative question, what do you think that we'll actually get and when in his case? (laughs) Um, Well, I'm definitely looking forward to more – religious explorations um through the horror genre like i i love the idea i i love him working in the horror genre first of all but i also love the idea of him kind of interpreting judeo christianity as a horror story because like it very much is like i mean there's like you know there's i mean it's it's impactful and like i definitely like taken you know a lot of inspiration and and faith from it but uh, I think when you get right down to it, like there is some horrific stuff that I feel like a lot of other filmmakers making religious movies are uh, avoiding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely I want to see him continue down that r- route and continue to, you know, kind of ask what is perfection? Like what is the, I guess, ultimate or end result of what a being can be. Um, and I, I do think that we will get that, um, eventually, uh, as for how soon we'll get it. Um, I mean, I'm going to guess that it's probably going to be like a couple more years, uh, until we see anything. I also feel like there's a chance, um, just given the way that things are going, that it might be a, uh, a streaming, uh, feature or a mini series, um and like it makes me like sad to say but just in terms of uh COVID-19 and what's happening with theaters I just it's hard for me to envision uh a kind of uh film climate where uh Aronofsky's movies are getting a lot of theatrical play other than like in a limited release um yeah. which is which is super weird cuz I mean you know, since since the wrestler, I've seen all of his movies in theaters, um, and I remember seeing uh, Black Swan like with a with a college crowd when I was uh, in college, and seeing it, I saw it twice uh, opening weekend, and both times were like with a packed audience, mm-hmm. and just like the idea, you know, that that kind of film, you know, even if even with it being one of his easier films to watch, like there's just something so great about experiencing that story, like in a communal setting uh, and on a big screen, you know? And I, I, again, like I also think about like mother, like the, the power of those images, like looming so large, um, you know, and it's one of my favorite Jennifer Lawrence performances too, because like he's so, the camera is so close to her face and just like having it like take up the entire screen like that. It's just, I feel like such an experience, but it also like kind of gets to uh, this religious power that he's kind of touching on. Like these stories are like writ large and meant to be seen large. Right. Um, 
And I, I don't know that they'll have the same kind of, you know, power if they're on, you know, Netflix or, or Prime or something, you know. I think his craft will still be there, but I don't necessarily think that they'll kind of leave that same uh, footprint. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a lot of great points. I mean, you know, to put things in context, like we basically today or yesterday when we're doing this recording just found out that like Regal is closing all of its theaters. Um, Streaming, of course, is getting bigger and bigger and they're putting more and more money into these things. And like, let's be real, like obviously, like you've written a lot about these movies. You know a lot about these movies in terms of franchise filmmaking and comic book movies. Um, But those weren't quite as large, say, when like Noah came out. Maybe the only movie that came out during this time of like, you know, Star Wars and Marvel and DC taking up, you know, 29 of the 30 screens uh, was probably Mother, uh, and I don't think Mother was ever a movie they thought was going to make a shitload of money. Like, I think he knew exactly, <laughs> he knew what he had in that movie. Um, so we're getting, I think we're moving more and more to a place where one, theaters are closing down, and two, if and when they do open up again, they're looking to sell out every single screening. So they're going to bring in the big budget, the franchise films, and movies like Aronofsky movies, I don't know if there's a spot for that anymore. Um, at least not the direction it's heading. So it may be a Netflix exclusive or an Amazon Studios thing or, you know, not Disney Plus because I don't think I don't see Disney Plus signing Darren Aronofsky <laughs> or Hulu or you know what I mean? So it's going to be it's going to be tougher to see. And I think you're absolutely right that some of these images are so beautiful and so disturbing that they are just indelible after you see them. Like there are shots from Black Swan and from Mother and from The Wrestler and Noah that I will never forget. And a lot of it is because I saw it in a theater. So it does like legitimately make me sad that it feels like that's the direction we're going. Yeah, and I just, like, I hope that we don't enter a place. And, I mean, like, just as as someone who, like, covers these big-budget movies, like, I I love big-budget, you know, blockbuster movies, but I also feel like I I also love them because there's an alternative and there's something else. Like, I feel like you need a a healthy balance. Um, You know, like, I... I see all the Marvel movies and, and and I think they're I think they're great, but I also you know love being able to to go to, to a theater and see uh, an Aronofsky movie or you know something weird, right? Uh, and I I just like I I hope that these filmmakers that we kind of consider auteurs aren't going to get like boxed in to uh, only making blockbusters so that their movies can be seen. Right. Um, and and I, that's something that I've been thinking about uh, this week. Like, I mean, uh, I'm a big fan of Barry Jenkins, uh, and I think he's a fantastic director. You mean the auteur behind Lion King 2? <laughs> yeah, that's 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 Ugh. my concern. I just like – and like no disrespect to him, but I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like – I don't – Agreed. I don't, I don't want to hear like, you know, in in several months that uh oh, Aronofsky just uh signed on to do uh Disney's Fox and the Hound. My, oh my, my god, can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, I think like the only hope 
um, is that, and I hope Barry Jenkins does this, honestly, is that he gets a huge payday for this. I hope it makes $2 billion, and then he takes whatever money he gets and puts it into projects he actually wants to do, like passion projects. But it's so easy to get caught up in that machine of like, well, you know, this made money. How about the next one? And how about the next one? You know, yeah. you know, I love, you know, Black Panther. I think it's a great, uh, it's a great Marvel movie and actually a really good movie overall. Uh, but do I really want, you know, our, some of our most talented directors and stars locked into long-term contracts? Not really, man. I, I want you to do your own thing, you know? And of course, get your money. Do what you got to do. I do not begrudge anyone that. But as a film fan, I am kind of like, but uh, that we're doing. Okay. I mean, I guess we'll see it because I like you. But man, I wish you were not doing a fucking Lion King 2. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> come on, man. All right. So enough negativity. Now we're going to go all positive. Um, so we always wrap up these uh, these conclusion episodes with talking about the director's best movie, uh, your favorite movie of their, theirs and their masterpiece. And in terms of masterpiece, what we're getting at is like if the, a person we mentioned, I think in the first episode, like, oh, you meet someone who's never seen a Darren Aronofsky film. And so the masterpiece will be like, this is Aronofsky in two hours. Like, this is what you need to watch. This is indicative of everything else that they do. So that's masterpiece. But we'll start off easy. What do you think? Actually, what is your favorite Aronofsky movie? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, my favorite is the uh, controversial mother. Yes. Um, <laughs> I just, I mean, I love that it's just like, here's the Bible inside a uh, domestic, like, horror story. Right. Uh, and I just, I, I love the way that it unfolds. And like, yeah, it's not, it's not subtle. I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think that subtlety is like necessarily like the, the aim of all, of all filmmaking um but i just i love the the performances and i love the things that it, it thinks about in terms of uh our religious allegories like i love the idea of javier bardem's uh him this godlike figure as being this you know celebrity who's just like adored but at the same time like abandons his partner in creation uh and is so infatuated with celebrity and like kind of like being all things to people who adore him that he even like takes his wife's son, son away and gives it to them. And there's that super weird, like cannibalistic communion scene. Like I love how literal uh, he's exploring uh, the Bible. And I just, I think it's, it's just like, it's frightening and it's powerful and it's just like such a big swing. It's the kind of thing that I love about filmmaking. Uh, and yeah, I just, I feel like there's so many great conversations uh, to be had from that, that movie. I just, I feel like, you know, in terms of thinking about, you know, the, such a widespread, like, religious story that like kind of like everybody knows pieces of and just kind of like turning that on its head and like digging into the horror of it is just like so cool to me and also mm -hmm. like, i think the performances are just absolutely great like jennifer it's probably my favorite jennifer lawrence performance uh javier redem is great ed harris michelle pfeiffer like it's just it's just like such a it's such a cool movie and i i love you know the the little moments of 
kind of taking biblical myths and looking at them through like a domestic drama with Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer's character as Adam and Eve and uh, Don Hall Gleason as uh, part of this Cain and Abel storyline. So I love that it goes through like this whole like Old Testament to New Testament story, like all set within this collapsing marriage in this house that is like literally turning into uh you know, almost a, a haunted house around them. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So glad to talk to someone who loves Mother because my co-host <laughs> hates it. Uh, so it's nice to get the positivity side of it. Um, so, of course, film is never objective, no matter what anyone tells you, no matter what any critic decides, like, objectively, this is the truth of this movie. That doesn't exist. It's a subjective art form. It is art. All art is subjective. But trying your best to take that out of it, trying your best to be as objective as possible, what is Aronofsky's best film? I think that it is um, The Wrestler, actually. Hmm. Um, I just, I feel like from a technical standpoint, um, I think it's his most uh, decisive uh, and also from a narrative standpoint, like I feel like it's it's so character focused, um, and like I love Mickey Rourke's performance uh, as Randy. Like it's what it's a comeback time. for him! Oh my god! Yeah, and uh, I'm still I'm still kind of upset that he didn't win the uh, the Oscar for that. Uh, he definitely should have. But yeah, I just I Could feel you imagine like... what his speech would be like. I, I think the Academy was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> We don't know what this dude is going to say. Let's just not. <laughs> yeah, I just, it, but there's, there's also just something so authentic about it. And like, I feel like Mickey Rourke is kind of part of that world. You know, he, he's a boxer mm-hmm. and I know he definitely, he helped out with the script. Um, and the, interesting enough, the originally, uh, the studio wanted Nicolas Cage for it. Um, and he, uh, he knew that Aronofsky wanted Mickey Rourke. And then also he said that uh, uh, he wasn't going to have enough time to get into like a wrestler shape. And that he said that he would never take steroids uh, <laughs> to do that. So he, you know, said that Mickey Rourke was a friend of his. So he dropped out and Mickey Rourke said that he read the script and thought it was bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that he uh, saw Aronofsky's passion for it. And then Aronofsky agreed that he would like change some of the dialogue to, uh, better represent the authenticity that Mickey York uh, was looking for. And I just feel like it's one of those films where just like all the right elements came together in such an unexpected way. I mean, at a point in Mickey York's career where you would never expect him to be like at the center of a big award season drama like that. No kidding. Um, And I just, you know, I, I think that, Again, just like going back to the relationships in that film, like they're just so raw and real and it doesn't, it doesn't, um, you know, take, take any chances to kind of, uh, or it doesn't, it doesn't make an attempt to kind of create like a, a happy narrative that you kind of expect from that story. I mean, like you look at Randy's relationship with uh, his daughter played by Evan Rachel Wood and like, 
it's such a it's such a heartbreaking thing to see them like slowly kind of build this relationship up again and for it to crumble mm. and then he starts to lose everything and he realizes that he like can't connect with the world outside of of the ring um and i i just i feel like that that is it's such a powerful like american story um about such a specific uh profession and i feel like you know there there's there's really nothing else like that in terms of like sports film i mean if you want to even call it a a sports film but yeah i definitely i think that that is his uh his best work nice and we finally we come to it richard our last question here what is darren aronofsky's masterpiece uh, his masterpiece is Black Swan. Hmm. Um, I think that that is the film that, you know, if, if anybody who hadn't seen Aronofsky before and wanted to know what he was about, that's the film that I would show them. I think that's the film that has, uh, you know, so many of his signature uh, ideas and filmmaking uh, tactics. Um, it's you know, exploring duality, the search for uh, perfection, uh, for uh, transcendence. It's got a, a beautiful Clint Mansell score. Um, Natalie Portman is just fantastic. Like, I think it's. Yeah. I also think that that's you know her her best performance, and she deservedly won the Oscar uh, for that. I I just think that you know when I think of Aronofsky, that's probably the film that I think of foremost um you know and it's getting into some of the ideas that he explored in his earlier films like mental illness and addiction but it's doing it in a way that uh we haven't really seen before but also in a way that you know going back to this idea of aronofsky as a myth maker like he's taking the story of swan lake uh this fairy tale or folklore or whatever and just kind of like imprinting on it in a very uh modern and horrific uh sense and so you know it's not it's not biblical in the same way that um noah or mother is but there is this same you know idea of taking an older story and then exploring it through uh a new lens that that feels timeless it feels like it could take place uh at any point in history, but it's also, it's also so deeply human. And I think that that's one of the things I love about it. Like it's, there's such a fragility to Natalie Portman's character. Um, and I just, I feel like it's, you know, even, even it being like a genre story, like being a, a psychological horror story, I think that it is so deeply human and it's something that is immensely relatable in terms of this search for an ideal, the search for, uh perfection and the adoration of your peers and kind of what that ultimately costs yeah absolutely very well said all right um so we have reached the end uh of darren aronofsky for now until he comes out with another movie in like nine years or whatever (laughs) um but until then richard thank you so much for joining us on these episodes and i highly recommend everyone follow you and it was at richard l newby is that correct on twitter yes that's correct okay excellent and if you want to follow the show it's at directed by pod and if you'd like to give us some of your hard-earned cash and get some bonus episodes like the last one we did we did a 
special episode on Interview with the Vampire, uh, just for kind of a Halloween treat for everyone. You can follow us there and donate at patreon.com slash a podcast directed by. Thank you.